Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Well, hello there, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable. Today we are in for a real treat. Our right, guys, today we have Linda Creter and Sandra Beck, the creator and host of the new show, Dynamic Women Radio. And like so many people in life, these two ladies have traveled a road less traveled, and that road is not always smooth. In fact, it's oftentimes a bumpy deer path. And while on this road, there are often undesired events that we weren't expecting. And yet, as you know, these bumps bring opportunities, growth perhaps, more authenticity, and if you're lucky, a new perspective on an old life. Now, it's not often, uh, it's not how often you fall or fail, but how many times you get back up. And both of these ladies have solid chins and springboards for legs. Linda Creter is a serial entrepreneur with companies involved in clinical drug development, marketing, advertising, veteran caregiver advocacy, peer connections, and augmented communications. As CEO of Wise Health Inc., Linda has spent the last nine years working on behalf of veterans and their families using video and radio outreach to educate, inform, and support military families. She's also the host of Military Network Radio, and she often works in partnership with Sandra Beck to jointly market her show with Sandra's Military Mom Talk Radio, and they reach over 3 million military family listeners each month. How fantastic is that? She's also the host of Wellness for Women Radio, a health and wellness program focused on women over 45, helping women thrive in today's pressure-filled world. And Sandra Beck, she's the president of Beck Multimedia. She's an author, coach, speaker, radio host, entrepreneur, and philanthropist. Sandra is as successful as she is busy. The single mom of two has created a virtual empire of successful companies, entirely staffed, managed, and implemented using a host of virtual assistants and online resources. Talk about smart. Author of Motherhood Incorporated, The Smart Woman's Guide to Working from Home with Just a Computer and an Internet Connection, and Blogforia, How to Reach Millions of People Without Spending a Dime. Sandra is a powerful voice in the social media arena as a popular internet brand strategist. She's also the host of five radio shows, Military Mom Talk Radio, Powered Up Talk Radio, Dynamic Women Radio, Coach Talk Radio, and uh, there's one other, but there's two Powered Up and there's another one. What is it, Sandra? Help me out here. I don't know. I'm so Coach stressed radio. out Coach radio. from my biography. <laughs> like you read that and I'm like, the pressure, the pressure. I'm like, no, 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 stop. <laughs> I haven't finished. Just a moment. She's an active contributor and participant in many charities. <laughs> and she not only le- looks after her kids, but also an aging father. She is part of that sandwich generation. So this is what we do know about them. Now it's time to find out what we don't know about them. She's a hot mess. <laughs> That's right. I'm a hot mess. You just nailed it right on the head there. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, in Dynamic Women, you guys write the show description saying that women flourish after 40. Uh, they're fuller. They have fuller expression, their self-awareness and greater understanding of life experiences, personal growth. Is that true? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Yes, you grow all sorts of things, chin hairs and cellulite. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So 
But here's the thing, you know, uh, you guys, we, we, we know you professionally, but we don't know you personally. And I think it's really important, especially on Unstoppable, to find out where people came from because everybody goes, oh, well, she could do it because, you know, she had this or she could do that or he could do that because they had that. But it's not true. It's not, it's not a, you know, what you have. It's a choice to be unstoppable. So first, you know what, let's, let's look at unstoppable, what that means. What does that mean to you, Linda? To me, it means no matter what hits you right between the eyes or coming from the side, that you will always find a way to get back up again. You said it earlier. It doesn't matter how many times you fall down. It's how many times you get up. And I think Sandra may concur with this. Even as children, we were told, wow, you bounce back. And mm -hmm. it is a choice. And I, I think it is a matter of just saying, you know, tell me something I can't do. And that means I'll do it. Yeah, I was always like, you know, double dare me. Please, just double mm -hmm. dare me. <laughs> mm -hmm. What about you, Sandra? Well, you know, for me, Unstoppable is all about, like, my head. If I, like, you know, Wayne Gretzky, he's my favorite quote on Unstoppable stuff. He says, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And I grew up in a hockey community, and I used to play hockey with my brothers. And they would knock me down all the time. They were bigger, you know, bigger brothers. And if I wanted to play with them, I had to, I had to keep up. And I think them yelling at me and my, even my parents, like, everybody going, get up, get up, like, I still hear that in my head. And I do that to my kids because when you get knocked down, the first thing today is parents run out and they're like, oh, my gosh, let me check your eyes for a concussion. Let me know. Yeah. You know, yeah. we could fall and crack our heads on the ice. I'm not saying it was a good thing, but but the, the response was get up, get up, get up. And I really think in being unstoppable, you have to have that get up mindset. I agree. You know, but it's interesting you talk about hockey community because little kids that play hockey, they fall down, they get concussions, and they stand up in the crowd cheers. You know, it's like, yay, good for you. Way to get up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, we admire that. We admire that. And, you know, I, I was a boxing, you know, promoter. So I, I, you know, I understand that mindset of get up. But sometimes I've been accused of, well, you're unstoppable, Frankie. So, you know, you can't give up or you can't do this. But you can't be unstoppable in every area of your life. No. I think that that's asking too much of somebody. Mm -mm. Yeah. And I don't think you have to be unstoppable all the time. Like, right. like unstoppable, like when, when people look at me and they go, wow, you've really come a long way since your divorce and blah, 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 and, you know, financial disaster and foreclosure. But, you know, that was a long eight years. And I did not get up every day unstoppable. There's were days where I was like face down in my eggs yeah. or face down in my bed going, I cannot face another day. So, you know, Unstoppable, I think, has an unnatural attachment to it that thinks we must be unstoppable every day in every area of our lives at all times. Right. Right. And yeah. that's just not realistic. No. No, I don't think it's realistic. Uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned divorce there, Sandra. Um, you know, I I've been through two divorces and uh, one thing as a relationship coach, I never, I always tell women never stay with somebody for money because money, you can get money back, right? You can always find money, but you, to live in a stress-filled environment is so damaging to one. Yeah, it's an overachiever. I know. <laughs> it's, I'm it's, like, of course you're unstoppable. She, she goes, you're an overachiever, you Frankie. <laughs> but no, but it's true. You know, but well, you know, my dad had, you know, he's been married three times. So he always said three times the charm. Um, you get it right finally, hopefully. The But it's important to know that you can recover from it. You can recover from absolutely everything. And I think the key is to move forward and look forward instead of looking back. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's a big one for me, Frankie. I, I, you know, I was sitting in the car with my 83-year-old dad the other day, and he was talking about the resiliency of his kids. And, you know, he asked me, what, what, he goes, Dan, what do you think is the key to your success? And I said, you know, I looked back to see where I could find things that I wouldn't make the same mistake again, but I don't look back. And even if I start myself wallowing, like sometimes on holidays, it's really hard for me not to look back and mourn what was or... I miss what was, I think, for anybody. So I purposely plan a weekend away, something I can look forward to. Or, you know, next month I'm going to buy myself a new Mac. Or next month I'm going to, you know, cut my hair. I don't know. Whatever it is, I I manufacture something to look forward to when I'm not feeling particularly like looking forward. I don't know. There's not really a word for looking forward. I guess forward thinking. But you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I do. Yeah, totally. I agree. I do that. I do the same thing. I think it's really important. And, you know, um, there was a quote, and I ugh, just went out of my head, but I, I have it somewhere uh, on my old website that's no longer. Um, but but a quote about, you know, you can't live your life backwards, right? Like you, you looking back is just hindsight. You can't live it looking back. You have to live it. You live it forward. And so, like you said, you look at the past mistakes um, and with hopes not to repeat that history, but you move forward. You know, I've got a little insertion here that's slightly different. I I think that there are sometimes seminal moments in your life, truly pivotal losses that set you in a different direction. It's not like the business ones that we've been talking about. Mine was that I lost my mother when I was just, I just turned 27 years old. She had Luke Gehrig's disease and mm-hmm. it was textbook from four years from diagnosis to death. And I, I, I was, I was so lost. I was so lost. We were very, very close. I didn't quite know what to do. Um, we made a decision to move up our time frame on having a baby so that mm-hmm. she could have a grandchild before she died, if it was meant to be. And it clearly was. And That was huge because our daughter was 11 months old when she died, but she talked at nine months. She walked at 10 months. They have pictures, and my daughter named her daughter after her. So, but but I won't minimize that loss. That's still bad today. And um, there's just certain things that I think you can you, you have to. There's no real choice on that one. Um, but you may choose to live your life a little differently after a loss that great. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. But, you know, the, the perspective, the, cha- the reframe, you can reframe the loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and as like when I, when I hear you talk about that, like, your daughter named her daughter after her sister mm-hmm. who, who passed. I mean, that, that is a, um, a happy story. I mean, well, that, it, it that, ends up a with a positive. good ending, right? Yeah. Because there were wonderful connections made, even as young as she was. It all resonated, and it all kind of brought it all full circle. So mm-hmm. very special. Yeah, I don't think you, you're supposed to forget. I mean, you don't forget your parents who die. You don't forget people who pass on. But that's not. But you still lived your life forward. Mm-hmm. It, did it stop you from living your life for a short time? For a short yes. time. For yeah, sure, time, for sure. Of course it does. And yeah. and you have that heart-shaped hole that will always be there. But I learned so much from her and from the grace in which she died and lived. Mm-hmm. And that's what you remember. Right. Did, did you, you know, there's people that, that specialize in taking photographs of children who passed on. Did you have anything like that? Of my mother? No. 
Uh, well, I, I do have pictures when she was very, very young. But um, no, I have pictures of her with my daughter. So oh. 11 months old and in one of those movable chairs, uh, motorized cart kind of things. Nice. And that's the yeah. last picture I have of them together. Uh, well, you know, sad and beautiful and, and, and tragic and you know, just lovely. We're going to go to commercial break and, and we are going to come back and we are going to talk more about Linda with Linda and with Sandra, find out where they actually came from and, and uh, see, you know, if you can recognize any of that in you. And then we're going to move forward as always <laughs> with Mission Unstoppable. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Jirasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward with tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. This is the Toginet Radio Network, broadcasting quality programming to the world. It's words you a book titled The Art of Doing Nothing by Veronica Bien in our guest room by the bed. I'm telling you, this book is an impossible challenge. In the state of Maine, it's said that someone who bottoms chairs for a living is lazy, presumably because one's bottom is perpetually in the chair. To sozzle means to laze around or perform a task in a sloppy way. The word is mainly found in New England. A quote from 1848 describes the term as used by housekeepers in certain parts of Connecticut to refer to a lazy person. Other words for lazy people are abbey lovers, scabberlatchers, and slaughter pooches. To me, the ultimate love lolly is someone who is too lazy to even fake like they're working. It's words you never I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back. I hope you had a good break, but thanks for staying, sticking around. We, we're really happy that you did. Linda Creter and Sandra Becker here from Dynamic Women Talk Radio. And <laughs> good she's here too. And um, I wanted to go back in history, talk a little bit about your childhoods. I mean, you guys are both successful women. And, you know, women tuning in and people who want to be unstoppable tune in and they're going, well, you know, where did she come from? Like, can I identify with her? So let, let's find out your history linda how did what was it growing up in the in your household 
I had a wonderful childhood, absolutely wonderful. I grew up in the Annapolis, Maryland area. Um, it was the kind of neighborhood where you could go out and play kick the can and tag, mm -hmm. and you rang a bell when you were supposed to come in at dark, and it was awesome. The milk was delivered from the dairy. Nice. Um, you know, it was it was very interesting. I'm a first-generation American. My father came to this country from Switzerland, okay. and my other grandfather from Germany. And it, it just really brought an interesting old world versus new world perspective into my life. I, I loved school. I loved to read. I still do. Um, I love, love, love where I live because I love sailing. And mm -hmm. that was probably the first thing I ever learned uh, was sailing. And then my very first job was I was the first a woman hired at the Annapolis Sailing School to teach sailing to adults who were paying a great deal of money on weekends and during the week in the summer to learn how to sail. And I, I didn't think that was anything unusual. Only years later did I realize I was public speaking at 16. And to adults, I learned to teach uh, deaf children and blind oh. children how to sail as thousands of adults. And sailing is my passion. It is a place oh, wow. to escape to. And it's it, when you learn very young, you realize that sailing is very instinctive. You feel it. You mm -hmm. smell it. You sense it. Um, and, and it is just a very special thing for me. So I, I grew up in a wonderful Mayberry-type neighborhood and household. And college was eye-opening. What about, what, about, what about siblings? I have a sister. I have a younger sister. And we're almost three years apart, typical sibling rivalry. We became good friends as adults. Mm -hmm. I would say that we had our squabbles as kids mm -hmm. and just really very different people. In fact, I at some point said to my aunt, uh, my mother's sister, I said, are you sure we're from the same <laughs> Very, very different. I must yeah. be a pod person or something. So it was fun. But college That's interesting. was yeah, but I let's, think go, let's not go to college yet. I, I want to stick. Okay. I want to stick around in our childhood for a moment. Okay. Now you grew up in a household with with another girl, so you didn't have I a did. comparison with the boys and, mm -hmm. and and all of that. But your your mom and dad were they girls can do anything? Were they uh, nice girls? Don't you know do that? Um, you know, no, you I never had any of, of those constrictions at all. It was always. You know, do the very best you can. If you're going to do mm -hmm. something, do the best you possibly can. And I, I always did. I did have a grandfather, though, um, the one who was in Switzerland, um, who when I became uh, a pharmaceutical rep out of college, he said, girls don't do that. Really? But they do now. They do, do now. now. And he was very, very proud of me. So, it, no, it was a, a wonderful way I to grow up and, and confidence building. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sandra? Oh, well, I was hatched. No, I'm just kidding. See, hot person and a hatched person. Great. Hatched. I just say that because I, I grew up in an area with a lot of chicken farms. But um, my uh, my upbringing was very modest. And um, uh, my dad was military and my mom was a homemaker. Uh, but she was the most well-read homemaker. She would read Shakespeare. She would read Chaucer, Prost. I mean, it was unbelievable. And she, she uh, spoke Ukrainian until she was uh, six years old and went to school here in the States. And my dad was from a German family of, of butchers, you know, um, mm -hmm. market owners. And so right. um, my dad was the first in our family to go to college. And so, you know, we're kind of we were the American dream kind was of Was your family. dad born in, in America? 
He was born in America. Yes. Okay. So was my mom. And, okay. um, you know, but, but the German and Ukrainian influence sure. and Polish influence in our house was huge. And, um, I had brothers and sisters. I had an older sister, an older brother, and a younger brother. And uh, we fought a lot. And our house was small, and it was really cold. One of the things that I I vowed when I grew up, I wasn't going to be cold anymore. Like, I used to be able to draw my initials on the window on the inside in the middle of winter. Because <laughs> oh it was, God. you know, Buffalo, Toronto. And we had, a like, an old farmhouse, an old colonial farmhouse. But I now hate... you're living in California, and you're freezing your ass off. I know. <laughs> Just today. Yeah, just today. But there's certain things that haven't left me, like not wanting to be cold or Uh fighting over food. Like that was another one. My brothers were like hoovers. And if you didn't get to the table and you didn't eat and my mom wasn't there to police it, like there's certain things, you know, um, and I know. My kids are like that. And I don't know why. Like my daughter will eat when she's not hungry so that nobody else gets it. (laughs) There's always one or two in a family that does that. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I go, and I'm not in jail. I will feed you again. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? But it, it created in me a scarcity mindset in certain yes. things. Like, like even though I live in Southern California and, you know, we've got every service known to man, I have to have a full pantry. I know that sounds weird. I have yeah. to have all this canned foods. I have to have like three months supply of food in okay. case there's whatever. And, um, and then I have warm clothes everywhere <laughs> in Southern California, but I have this weird phobia about being cold and being hungry. Okay. You know what? My husband grew up in a Mormon um, background and they have to have two years worth of food. In their yeah. basement, at all times. At all times. At all times. Food, toilet paper, paper towel. Like he goes out and he buys all this. I go, no, don't worry. <laughs> we don't need all that. <laughs> but see, but in, that- in defense of our families, I, in my case, I'm a little bit older than Sandra, but the they grew up in the Depression. And so I think that we sort of inherited that scarcity mindset. I also have to have a full pantry. And we had modest means. We were never wanting for anything, Mm -hmm. but there were not a lot of extras. And so I think that that is partly how we were raised at the time we were raised. Yeah. I think my dad, you know, he he, um, stowed away on a boat from from he was austrian he stowed away a boat for in in uh, holland to england and hmm. basically he had one pair of pants for five years and i remember like you know as as we were modest and as he you know became more um more wealthy and and i wanted a pair of jeans and he goes do you have a pair of jeans i go yes he goes then that's all you need yeah like that was mm-hmm. his, his thing right like right wash it wear it again <laughs> you know? and and i appreciate that and but the one nugget that he gave me that I just love, love, love so much was he said, anyone can do it with money, figure out how you can do it without. And that level of creativity Mm. has, has just made me thrive through everything I ever did because it's just so much fun. My dad was like that. I wonder if it's the German, Austrian, you know, Mm -hmm. frugality, you know, kind of thing. But my dad would always say things to me, like when you said, that's a great one, Frankie. He would say to me, you know, it's all in your head, like your positive mental outlook. Mm -hmm. You're, you know, if you believe you can, you can. He goes, if you don't, his thing was dead in the water. He goes, if you don't believe you're, if you don't believe you can, kid, you're going to be dead in the water. Yeah. And, you know, which is, you know, frightening when you're seven years old. (laughs) You're going to drown. You take it literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like Max almost passed out in church the first time when he realized the blood of Jesus. And he was like, his face turned white. Aww. And he's like, oh, my God, Mom, they're singing about blood. And, you know, because, you know, as a kid, you take it yeah. literally. 
Well, you know, my, my daughter came home from school um, one day and, and she said, and she was just crying. I go, why are you crying? Because she goes, the kids at school told me that since I don't believe in Jesus, um, I'm going to I'm gonna be killed or some silly thing. Oh. Like that. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. And, and I'm like, don't worry about it. Yeah, it's okay. Everybody has their own beliefs and everybody has their own belief system and whatever it is, you know, is, is fine. And you can do it, whatever you like. And people can't tell you, you know, what's true and what's not true in that area because they don't know. Nobody knows. And and I think that's, you know, but when I was in the hospital after my accident, um, I did a survey. And because I was looking at different, I was in a, in, in a recuperated hospital for six months. And I was looking at people. And I go, I wonder if their parents were negative or positive. Like, how come this person is thriving and this person isn't doing their exercises? Why can't that person walk yet? And why is that person? So look at your parents and tell me, you know, were they positive or negative, And what are you? They, my parents are both very positive and so am I. Not every single day like Sandra had mentioned earlier, but mm-hmm. if you take a look at it, probably 98% positive. And if I'm not, I try and figure out why I'm not and make myself so. I don't know if mine were positive as much as it was just expected. Like you don't right. give up. You don't, like, it wasn't even a question. Like, they didn't have mm-hmm. to get up in the morning and say, oh, come on, get up and do your best today. They'd mm-hmm. be like, oh, you 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 got an A minus, why? Yeah, like, but, you know, like, my mom was a chicken little. That's what I got. Right? The weather, uh, the, you know, it's gonna, it, it was always, like, the negative stuff. And oh. my dad was always positive. And even though my mom was extremely intelligent, you know, she had her master's in economics and everything. But she always, you know, oh, she was chicken little. Something's going to happen. The sky's going to fall, you know, whatever. It was, it was crazy. And, and yet, you know, I'm an optimist. I am an eternal optimist. I've always, yeah. Never went to college. And she would wake up every morning, opening in the drape, she'd go, wake up, sunshine, which I know lots and lots of moms do. Yes. But it was very positive. Yeah, that is positive. But I think Sandra's onto something there. I think it was expected. It was anticipated. And we were pretty blessed. So let's appreciate it and move on from there. Mm-hmm. What are you saying, Sandra? Oh, I just, you know, I was saying about my mom had different concerns. My mom didn't know who her father, she knew who her father was, but my, my grandpa got around and he created a lot of children. So uh, okay. my mom confided in me later on that her biggest fear was my sister and I would marry a half sibling somewhere out there because she knew uh, my grandfather. And- <laughs> yeah, he had made like, like at least 13 or 14 kids, oh, big, tall, blonde, God. good looking guy. And he just made babies all over the place. And uh, she was more afraid. <laughs> We should, like we'd marry a half sibling and have a kid with three heads. Yeah. Wow. That's funny. And it's regional, I guess. You know. Yeah. Well, because you know, immigrants didn't go here. I, I never far. had that concern. <laughs> I love that three heads. Oh my gosh. Well. Yeah, I'm trying to recover from that. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a hard one to talk. Sorry, Frankie. <laughs> But you asked. You I did ask. About- and so, you know, if you're listening in, and we're going to go to a commercial break in just a moment, but if you're listening in, think about, you know, the kinds of things that your parents were concerned about for you. And, uh, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, don't marry your first cousin. And and I don't even think that's a concern anymore. It used to be you had to get blood tests and do all those silly things. Yeah, but and now you don't have to do a sibling. Like, if yeah. you don't know, and he's got all these kids, we're talking marrying your half-brother. That is yeah, well, you don't want to do that. So we're going to come back from the break. Make sure that you haven't married your half-brother. And uh, we'll talk to you in just a few minutes. Don't go anywhere. 
That's right, don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Harvard Medical School writes that if you are having an occasional twinge of joint pain when you climb the stairs or go for a walk, or if you are worried about arthritis because your parents had it, one step toward prevention is to check your weight. Being overweight raises your risk for developing osteoarthritis, which is the most common joint disorder, and it's caused by wear and tear on a joint. Excess weight puts added stress on weight-bearing joints like your knee, and the inflammatory factors associated with weight gain may contribute pain in other joints of your body. Being overweight opens you up to many problems, so with all diligence, keep your weight down. Daily exercise and healthy, low-calorie eating will keep the extra weight off and promote good health in your life. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. It's words you never heard. Here's some fun facts about noses and ears I'll bet you didn't know. Did you know your ears secrete more earwax when you're afraid than when you aren't? And generally, people with asthma have better hearing than those who don't. Now, here's a word for you. When someone gets their ears pierced, they're actually piercing their pinna. The pinna is the fleshy part of the earlobe. Did you know it's possible to sneeze so hard you can break a rib? That happened to my husband's secretary once. And according to research, you'll blow your nose 250 times this year. Scientists have also determined that the smell in your right nostril is more pleasant, while the smell in your left nostril is more accurate. By the way, twice as many men as women can wiggle their ears. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. All right, and welcome back to Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. My guests today are Linda Creter and Sandra Beck. And we were talking about being unstoppable and where people come from who are unstoppable. And Linda grew up in a Mayberry idyllic uh, family setting, and, and Sandra grew up with rough-and-tumble brothers and, and, <laughs> and, and avoiding her first cousin and half-siblings. And um, <laughs> But we're going to move on to your 20s, women in their 20s. What was it like for you both in your 20s? Whoever wants to start. I'll go because mine's easy. Okay. I had new. I um. I went. I was lucky. Northwestern plucked me out of obscurity, and I went to Northwestern. Finished my master's degree there by the time I was twenty-one, and then I was let loose on the world. And every two years, I had a new career. I taught at USC. I ran the Breast Institute. I worked for Disney. I worked for CBS. I mean, I I taught nights um in a in a prison. I mean, <laughs> I just did. Wow. I, yeah. I mean, I would do whatever jobs sounded interesting or fun because most kids I think grow up wanting to have a career as a fireman or a policeman yes. or a nurse. And, you know, here I got accepted into Northwestern in their journalism program. And I loved that because I could study whatever I felt like, and it would work with like my ADHD. I could bounce from subject to subject. And then when I went to get my master's degree, it was only because the college advisor happened to be the business school. And I was going to take like art and tennis and dance. He's like, Oh no, you're going to take business school classes. <laughs> 
And I wish I was more directed than that, but I just kind of went whatever way the wind blew. And Disney's like, hey, we got a job for you. I'm like, okay. And then CBS, okay. And then yeah. uh, USC, okay. Like, I I didn't, I was very directionalist, um, very fulfilled, but I called them career lits. And they all came together um, to, to give me what I think was a great experience for what I do now. But at the time, my parents were like, are you kidding me? You've got a sister who's a nurse, a brother who's yes. an engineer and I'm like oh today I'm running the breast institute they're like you're not a doctor and I'm like yeah. it doesn't matter <laughs> you know what? I exactly the same I was exactly the same I you know what? I have a brother who's a doctor a lawyer an architect and and here you know I have no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up and I went from kickboxing promoter you know to working in the government to doing all kinds of crazy stuff and and here I am today it, back when you know when I was nine years old I wanted to be a radio announcer and I sent away for the National Institute of Broadcasting Records, how to be an announcer. And, you know, you come full circle at some point, you know, in your life, and here you are on the radio. Linda, did you know? And it always bothered me that I didn't know what I wanted to be, though, because I thought, how easy would it be if you did know what you want to be? So what about you, Ms. Creter? Yeah, I I did know what I wanted Doctor. I went pre-med to school. I went to Smith College, an all-women's college, which was surprising to everybody in my family because I had grown up having mostly male friends, working in male jobs, um, doing all sorts of things. And I remember my mother saying to me, you know, I think you'd really appreciate having some really smart female friends. And those are my friends still to this day. I love each and every one of them. It was a very good experience. Um, but I was a very traditional kid with expectations of my parents of what to expect, where to go next, what the next steps were. Mm -hmm. And I ended up getting engaged my junior year in college. Um, upon graduation, I got married a week after graduation, which I will say, in retrospect, is far too young. You're not fully formed at 22. Mm -hmm. And you really are not the same person as you go through your 20s, 30s, 40s, and on. Um, I We started to move. Um, first, I put him through business school, and then we began to move constantly, um, eight times in 11 years, and I was always the trailing spouse. I was not able to go to medical school at that point. Um, I did, however, stay in the medical field, working in pharmaceutical sales and medical and hospital sales and things like that. I uh, ended up working at NASA for a time period and finding jobs that fit wherever we were living. Um, that was a little more difficult when we moved to Belgium. After mm -hmm. the birth of my second child, uh, we moved. Uh, he was 17 days old, so his passport picture oh. was his one-hour-old picture. This is my second child. So I have a, a daughter and a son. And that was really, really different because I could no longer work because you had to have a visa. And it was a very different time. So I learned languages and we traveled a lot. And with two little ones, that was very interesting in Europe because you don't, children are seen and not heard. But I also think it's the reason both my children are multilingual. Nice. Is that they were very young at the time and went there. So my 20s were spent uh, f being the trailing spouse, finding meaningful work, um, having no trouble putting myself second because we were a team. And it was a good time other than when I just turned 27 and I lost my mother. So I finished out my 20s uh, with loss. 
uh, I'll be frank, there was a lot of loss at that point, and entering my 30s was a relief. What about your 30s? Sandra, I'm going to go with you because I, there's a phenomenon that happens for women in their 30s, and I don't know if mm -hmm. they all recognize in that. It has a name. I can't remember it at the moment. But um, there's something about being in your 30s that, well, you know, usually there's a significant event. Did anything happen for you? The way I look at my 30s, it's really more of a sound effect. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> that was my 30s. Uh, I really? got divorced. My mom passed away. I went through a foreclosure. I shut down one business and formed another. Uh, I went through uh, two fertility treatments over, you know, three years each, two to three years each to have my children, and both of them were born premature with health issues. I could not swing a dead cat around town without hitting a crash. And um, mm. so crawling into my 40s was a relief. Hmm. What about you, Linda? My 30s were good. My children were young. They were happy. Um, I moved from a series of positions, sometimes having three jobs to make ends meet um, because we had some significant bills at that point. And then I started my first company at the age of 37. Um, mostly, it was very interesting. I had to take a job at a certain point because we thought my husband was going to lose his and meaning full-time, because mm -hmm. I've been always, always working at least part-time on multiple jobs. But I started a full-time job, and then I was approached by uh, an investor who asked me to start a new company uh, in the pharmaceutical realm and gave me the seed money to start it, and I bought him out within 13 months. And that company grew to be $30 million a year in revenue, um, into my 40s, but that was huge. If you'd ever told me I was going to start a company that would succeed that strongly, I would have been shocked. And then my 40s turned out to be a mess. <laughs> so I, I got to the early 40s, and then it went downhill from there. My 30s, my early 30s were, I mean, I had my last kids in, and I looked the best I ever looked. Mm -hmm. I felt the best I ever felt. I felt invincible. I started a company at 35, had a condom company, and uh, it just like took off. It was crazy, and and I was on the you know front of the business section three times, and I never would have thought that happened. And my 40s, you know, that's when actually I, I felt really great in my 40s too, except I had a big crash and, and right. you know I lost everything. But uh, yeah, I, I divorced my husband in the early part of the 30s, and uh, I married another one. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I left with two kids under, you know, under, under five. And, um, I was, I had to, I just had to, you had but to. I think, I think that there's just a, sometimes in your thirties, women, you know, marriages dissolve and, and it's almost like you have to leave them behind because you're just so far ahead at that point. You've actually grown up. Like there's mm -hmm. like a growing right, up. Right. You grow up and if your and partner doesn't. Yeah. And especially when you have kids, you know, I pulled the yeah, plug right. on my marriage a lot because I couldn't raise the boys the way I wanted them to be the kind of men I wanted to be. And I know that sounds yeah. like all control freaky, no. but no, but I, they had to come first at that point. And, and sustaining my marriage at the expense of my kids was not an option. Yeah, no, I hear you on that one, you know, and, and 
my abusive second husband, he would go, come on, girls, to my boys, which I hated. I hated name calling. You know, I really despised that. And so that was, you know, somebody who had to go as well um, because I just couldn't abide the abuse. But I also didn't want a second loss. And so I stayed at it a little bit longer when I probably should have left that one a lot earlier. But And that's a lesson learned from being young. Yeah. I know that when... I looked at my parents and they had this amazing marriage that when mine started to go downhill, I just tried harder and harder and harder. And I had a husband who thought that was great. Yeah. Um, but there's, you, do you know that book, The Giving Tree? Yes. Okay. It's my most You were the giving book. wife. <laughs> I was the giving wife. I was down to so a stump. Was there wasn't a sprout wow. coming out of that stump. <laughs> and I mean, that to give you a visual. Um, and so... You know, it just became a vicious cycle. I was very, very successful by all the world's brothers, and we right. put on masks and faces to the rest of the world, but underneath it were some major cracks. Yeah, and it's interesting the face that we, you know, that we give to the world. Um, you know, Sandra and I just finished writing that book, I Beard My Chest, uh, 21 uh, unstoppable women dig for bold and, and, you know, share their naked truth. And I think it's so interesting that some people were really able to share their naked truth and, and others weren't. And there comes a point now I'm, you know, I'm 60 in June and there comes a point when you have to say, yeah, you know what world, you can see me, you can see me now. I, I'm not mm-hmm. as, as, um, worried. Bank. I'm not worried at all what people think, actually. And I just got tired, Frankie. I just got tired. I'm like, I cannot be this perfect person anymore. It's it's stupid. Right. It is. It's too much work. Yeah. And it's too heavy. It's too heavy to carry. You know that. You know, if I cry like I cried at the school one night, you know, at back to school night because I really missed my mom, and I saw my friend Lon from Korea who just went home to bury her mom. She looked at me, I looked at her, and I'm this big busty blonde, and she's this tiny little peanut Asian lady, and we both ran at each other and hugged and bawled our eyes out, and we're like, you know, people are looking at us like we're crazy, but you know what? Guess what? It's it hurts. Real. It hurts yeah. when your mom dies. Mm-hmm. It does. I mean, I was driving home today thinking about what if something happened to one of my kids and I started to cry and I'm like, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> Why are you doing that? And it just has to be hormonal because, you know, they're all grown up. But, you know, there's just such a love that we have for them. That, that it's incredible. It's it makes you leave husbands for your kids. <laughs> but we're going to go to commercial break. What did you do for your family, for your children? Um, you know, some people think that maybe that's selfish, but maybe it's not. Maybe you're just being unstoppable. You'll have to decide. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. Sandra Beck and Linda Creter are here to tell us more about their life and about being unstoppable and dynamic women. Don't go anywhere. You can get a drink and then you can come back. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Welcome to Geraldine Tegelove Live. The show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. 
Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author and intuitive Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelov live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on the Toginet Radio Network. This is the Toginet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. It's Marching I had a weird weekend relaxing and reading through mental floss when I came across these rip-roaring R-words. I recognized a few of them, such as the old 18th century Scottish word ramfeasled, which means fatigued or exhausted. A couple more great R-words are ruckitly tuckitly, meaning crumpled or gathered up and ruched. Ruched is commonly used today to describe a flattering blouse or a top. Rabbity is a 16th century word for an innocent fool. While Raffle Coppin is a rash, impetuous person, or maybe just somebody that gets carried away with our words. It's Marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Ah, we're back in our 40s. Oh, my gosh, to be 40. 40 is like the new 20, I think. How how fun is that? Sandra, you can probably attest to that. I do. I'm not getting older. I'm just having anniversary birthdays. So, like, right. on my 40th, I had my 10th annual 30th birthday party. Uh, Isn't that great? Why not? Yeah. I, have a fr- I have a friend who always buys, like, funny birthday cards like like you know for a two-year-old or a four-year-old or for a guy when it's like for a girl and it's it's hilarious really when you get those they're, they're lots of fun but my my um second husband who i couldn't wait to get rid of he gave me a valentine's card and it said for my brother <laughs> oh no that. <laughs> that sums it up that sums it up right there he goes oh what are you talking about i go it says to my brother Thanks for reading the card. <laughs> That's hilarious. It beats uh, the monkey with the finger up their nose that I yeah, get. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> I saw roses on your desk. On Yeah. Sandra. Oh, so, tulips. Yeah. Tulips. Tulip. Right. Okay. So you become successful. You're CEOs of companies. You're running companies. You're running kids. You're running, mm-hmm. you know, schedules. Like I, I had kids in hockey and rep hockey and rep baseball and, you know, all over the place. And for maybe you know 18 years you're, you're a chauffeur and a driver and you're a chauffeur i mean in a bank machine that's what i felt i was um at home and then you know at work i was something different but how do you manage all of this and be the unstoppable incredible women that you are and still have energy left over or did you have energy left over for you because i think people listening they go oh well you know i i'm just too tired i, I can't even you know, do anything, and how am I expected to do all that? You know, I'll I'll take it. I, I my forties were tough. Sandra likes her forties or like them. Um, my forties, I would not want to live through again in a million years. I entered them 
very open, very accessible and trusting, some might say naive, and it was turned on its head. Um, any vulnerability was allowed to come back and bite me. Um, whatever I shared as important was exploited. And any doubts or insecurities just blossomed in that environment. And so my 40s were really tough. And I, I really had to do a lot of introspection. I had to realize that you can't look to a, a husband or a wife to fulfill all your emotional needs. But mm -hmm. if you've got the demands of a growing job, the quote, encouragement, and that's in quotes, to do more, more, more. Um, remember I told you about the giving tree. It's a vicious mm -hmm. circle. So when you get used up and you don't take a close look, you get further down that, what is it, a long walk down a dead end, and it's a really long way back. And so you said the plugs were pulled on your marriage, or you did the plug pulling. Mm -hmm. um, mine was pulled, mm -hmm. and it was a rude awakening. Um, I often say to Sandra, it, it was not so much um, the infidelity as it was the financial infidelity. I, mm -hmm. I thought that was so unusual. I didn't even learn that term until many years later, where money is taken out of an account and you don't know about it. And it's a betrayal of trust mm -hmm. that you just didn't see coming. So my naivete works to make me positive, but it also worked to make me foolish. And so I moved on and it was a very difficult divorce and my children were my focus. And I must have done something right because they've turned into very good children with high integrity. And there are some things that you know, I think the overachieving aspect is probably not the best thing to mm -hmm. always give kids. That overcomer thing is good to a certain extent. But um, I love to nurture and be compassionate. And where I was, I wasn't allowed to. And so you start out being appreciated, then you get taken for granted, and then people feel they're entitled to all of that. And that doesn't set the bar in the right place. So anyway, my 40s were very difficult, went through the divorce and um, lost my company, um, lost my marriage, my identity. I, I even got up in the morning and dressed to go to work, even though I couldn't work because I had a non-compete. And so I didn't know who I was. I, yeah. It was very, very That's difficult. Brutal. It was brutal. brutal. Yeah. I'll be honest. It was. But then you start to reinvent yourself at a certain point because staying down was not an option, especially right. when teenagers knew. Yeah. Yeah. And reinvention, I'm all about reinvention. I, I mm -hmm. like to reinvent myself every couple of years. And I think that's, that's, you know, so important, mm -hmm. especially, yeah, you know, I did do the leavings, um, Linda, but I took my cues from my dad. My dad said, you know, you always pay the piper. If you want to be happy, you have to make the other person happy too. Mm -hmm. And so I took all of the bills. I took, you know, everything right. that we owed. I said, okay, I'll pay that off. And right. I didn't have a pot to piss in, but I, I took it on. Right. And at the end of paying off our van and, and everything else that we had, um, when I went to buy a house, I didn't have any credit. Right. Right. It had all been in his name. Mm -hmm. So I go, wait a minute. I just finished paying five years of this stuff. Oh no, you didn't. Because it was in his name. Hard so lessons ladies, to learn. Lesson, hard lessons to learn. Bert Mann, my father, always said, women, you get into marriage, you always have to have your own bank account. And That's it. I, That's it. Yeah. 
That's it. I had my own bank account. It was one of the things that helped me, you know, in my divorce. And I will say it was empowering me to file. I mean, my husband at the time was actually living with someone else. So, you know, it's not like it was any surprise we were getting. (laughs) But but I did have to deal with the issue of like reconciling with my kids that I was the plug puller. I was the one that was going to break up the marriage. And I knew even though the circumstances at the time, my kids were really little and they wouldn't understand dad's living with the girlfriend, dad's, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I had to have a real big heart to heart with myself that, you know, breaking up this marriage was my choice, my decision, and I would live with it. And I would face my kids saying, yeah, I did. I did it to create the best life, you know, for us. Um, but one of the things, because I'm still in the trenches, you know, I'm still yep. in, and uh, still got kids. I still got young kids, and I I'm running my company and taking care of my dad. Um, I have some little rules, like you know, like on NCS, Gibbs has his rules. I have like some some rules that I want to share with everybody. Just, um, it, it, it's made my life a lot easier. Uh, one of the things that I live by is, if in doubt, leave it out. Just remind, right. if in doubt, leave right. it out. If you don't Me know too. if you should do it, if you don't know whatever, if you have any doubt, just pull the plug and say no or leave it out. Number two was just say no. I say no to everything first, mm-hmm. because if you really want to do it, you can always change your mind. And if people really need you, they'll come back. But saying no first has really helped me because growing up, no was kind of a dirty word. Um, the other thing is I used to have a very high perfectionist standard. Now I ask myself, is it good enough? Like mm-hmm. when you're a single mom with two kids and you've got your dad living with you and you have a company to run, Yes, we want to promote, we serve excellence, but you know what? Excellent doesn't cut it. If it's good enough, kids live out of the laundry basket. Guess what? It's good enough. Um, And then the final thing is I disqualify people, things, products, everything very quickly. If it breaks, I take it back. If it doesn't serve my needs, I take it back. If a a friend is hurtful and, and whatever, I disqualify them. If a guy comes on to me and I look at him as a potential mate or spouse, I disqualify them quickly because here's the thing. I don't have time for costly mistakes. And yeah, I may, may disqualify somebody as a friend or a boyfriend who could have been a good match, but I got eight plates spinning in the air every day and I got to keep those plates spinning. And so having some of these concrete things, you know, if in doubt, leave it out and disqualify things, just say no. And it's good enough. And if any of those things fall down, I'll take my lumps for making that decision. But by and large, it keeps everything running. That's awesome. Those are great. Yeah. Boundaries and, and, and rules are good. People need to, everybody should have them, you know, and that way you're never taken advantage of or rarely taken advantage of, and you know what you want and you, and you can get what you need and, and that's it. Like, you know, there's only one of you and many others. <laughs> and right. like Linda, when Linda was at a stump, she had nothing to give. And we no, all I need didn't. to have something to give if, if people need things from us. And you so know, we need to give stuff. So we need stuff given back. We do. And, and my rules are very different than Sandra's because my children are grown. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember when they were dating and I would say, there's three things I'd like to pass on to you that are really important. Take a look at people. Um, how do they conflict? Are they silent? Do they fight back? Are they defensive? How do they handle conflict and communicate it? How do they handle money? Because mm-hmm. that was a lesson hard learned. Mm-hmm. And 
are they warm in terms of touch that is non-sexual? So what mm-hmm. I'll call intimate touch. And those three things were very, very important to me. And then the final thing I would say is, you know, behavior flaws can be fixed, but character flaws cannot. This is true. This is true. Well, I've, we're gonna, we've only got three minutes left, I just found out. And so I have a quick story that I need to tell you guys. Um, back in December, my websites were trashed. Somebody went into the cPanel at GoDaddy and they dumped them. They dumped everything. There wasn't an ounce left. And I felt like I had been raped. And I didn't say anything to anybody because, A, I wasn't sure if it was somebody I knew or um, – Whatever, but I wasn't going to react. I was going to respond, and so I just kept kind of quiet. Sandra knew about it, but I kept kind of quiet about it. And uh, I met somebody four days ago, practically. Uh, She was on my show, and she has a company, Sanctuary Studios, and within the last four days, she has rebuilt my website. It looks fantastic. You guys, Dynamic Women is now syndicated on the Good Radio Network. If you go to www.thegoodradionetwork.com, you will see it. It's fantastic. It's beautiful. Thank you so much, Michelle, uh, for, for Emson, for making this beautiful site for me. It still needs some tweaks, but, man, we launched it, and it's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And so I had to get that plug out there because, you know what? I was inviting people to my show and nobody was coming. You know, I wasn't getting callbacks. So I'm going, they, they, I wasn't on the net anymore. I was a non-entity and I had to get it back. And, and she agreed. And so she did this phenomenal job and it looks gorgeous. It does. Well, and that's all about like regrouping, rebuilding after a loss. Like that's the thing. It's Mm -hmm. like you can mourn for a little bit, but, um, you know, get over it. Or like my thing on the ice, get up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My dad said to me the other day, just suck it up. Oh, yeah. Uh, I say that to my kids all the time. It's like, suck it up. Be a man. Come on. And I know the therapist will kill me, you know, for this stuff. But at some point, you got to suck it up and you got to get going. Yeah, you do. You do. And And it really is the only advice because, you know, you can't stay down. You got to get up. And we're clapping for all you people who are getting up right now. (laughs) Way to go. Way to get up. What did we talk about yesterday, Sandra? We are deliciously imperfect. Oh, I like that. I did too. <laughs> oh, well, I'm just delicious. No, it's I'm my new mantra. <laughs> I'm just deliciously, you know, imperfect. So go ahead and criticize me. What are you going well, to say? Well, I want to thank my two guests, uh, Sandra Backlund and Peter, for coming on the show today, and I want to thank Karina for producing our show today, and I want to thank each and every one of you for coming and tuning in each and every week because I do appreciate that so very much. Thank you, everybody. See you next time. Bye. When the chips were down, they didn't stop. Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time, and always remember... Don't, 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 don't stop.